Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Good to see you this morning. Fun morning. Great worship. Great to, I just love every baby dedication morning that we have. It just gets me so happy and so uh, excited. And um, I'm not saying I'm excited about this, but I am saying that we are wrapping up our series uh, in the book of Galatians. If you've been around any of the last few weeks, we've been kicking around the, the book of Galatians. And as a reminder, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church or maybe a couple of churches in an area in modern day Turkey called Galatia. And um, the purpose of his letter was to weed out a heresy that had been sort of injected into the Galatian church. And the heresy was essentially that, um, that they needed to have a works-based faith, that they needed to add obedience to the law, particularly circumcision, with their faith in Jesus. And Paul uh, wrote to challenge the church to embrace the true gospel, which is essentially that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so he was fighting against that works thing because that was a complete dead end that would go nowhere good for the people in Galatia. And so um, as we are wrapping up the the, uh, series in in the book of Galatians, we come to chapter 6 and Paul ends um, his, his letter to the Galatians super, super practically. It's like this is a really, really practical ending to his letter And what Paul has to say here, you guys, is, I think, incredibly important for our livelihood. I think that this is actually a very, it has the potential to be really, really impactful. As a matter of fact, it may be one of the most impactful things that we'll talk about, maybe uh, of, you know, many of the things that I've talked about over the last year. So this is a really, really big deal. Um, And so we're going to park on the first 10 verses uh, of this chapter. And I got to, I got to tell you guys that, um, there, you're probably like this, but I have a handful of moments in my life, uh, in the past that I really regret. Does anybody, can you, does anybody, can anybody else think of something that like automatically, if I say, do you have any regrets? Your brain goes to like a particular thing or a couple of things. I have like two or three dozen, no, a two or three things, uh, in my past that I really, really wish that I could change if I could. And as I was reading, uh, Galatians chapter six, and particularly reading the verses that we're going to talk about today, I found myself going, man, I really wish that I had had these verses in my mind 20 years ago for this particular situation that I found myself in, that I got myself into, actually. And I'm going to tell you uh, about that in just a minute. But here's what Paul has to say. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think that you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love the ego boosting that Paul does for us here, right? Pay attention. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. 
Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So here was the situation. I um, went to college to become a teacher, and after college, I got a teaching job in a little elementary school, uh, not too far from here, actually, and I was a special education teacher, and so uh, the way that our school did special education is they would pair the special ed teacher with the classroom teacher, and I would be in the classroom, and we would co-teach in the classroom, and I had two colleagues of mine, so we were a group of three, and, and so I found myself in different teaching teachers' classrooms throughout the course of the day. Well, there was one teacher uh, in particular, and I had to spend several hours with her each day, and I have to tell you, I did not like this woman at all. As a matter of fact, I really, really disliked her. Um, I had such a difficult time uh, with this woman that we just never, ever got along. So I didn't like her, and I was not the only one. It seemed like she was not beloved by anybody in the school, and she seemed to be particularly disliked uh, by my two special education colleagues. I think it was because they had to work with her for years before I had gotten there. She was really, really insufferable, right? And so when I told my colleagues that I was struggling with this woman, that I felt bullied by her, they said, well, you got to stand up for yourself, Kevin. You got you to gotta fight power with power. That's the only language that she understands. You got to get in her face and show her who, who's boss or the rest of the year is going to be completely miserable for you. She will not respect you unless you like put her in her place. And I was like, Man, that sounds kind of harsh. I mean, are you guys sure that that's what I should do? And they were emphatic that my year was going to be absolutely miserable unless I really like laid into this woman. And so uh, the next time I saw her was actually in the hallway during a passing period when all the kids were around and she stopped me to, to tell me something and she actually got a little bit snippy and I thought, well, here we go. And I just exploded on this woman in the middle of the hallway. I got in her face. I went big. I told her what I thought about her. I told her, I just went after her in a really, really ugly way. And 30 seconds later, I'm sitting in the principal's office, like so many times in my past as a child, sitting in the principal's office along with this teacher, and she is sobbing. She's a complete wreck. And I realized instantly that I had been given and I had followed really, really bad advice. It was a terrible thing that I had done. And instead of making my situation with her better, I made it worse for the rest of the year. That was it. It was a bad year after that. And I don't know exactly um, what she was thinking, but I know that I sowed bad seed into our relationship and I reaped the fruit of that in my, in my, uh, the reap the fruit of my choice with her. And she did the same thing. I don't know what her 
I don't know what her belief system was. I don't know where her moral compass was. I know she was very, very unhappy, but I also know what God called me to do. And Paul addresses this for us right here uh, in the book of Galatians chapter 6. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the immutable law of sowing and reaping in a sermon that I'm calling the joy and the sorrow of sowing and reaping. And so what we're going to do, you guys, is we're going to take the first 10 verses in two chunks, verses 1 through 5 and appropriately verses 6 through 10. So let's read again verses 1 through 5. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And if you think that you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. And so Paul begins this chapter, I think, by giving us a really, really tall order. This is not, to me, Christianity 101. This is an invitation to maturity. And the question is, what do we, the body, he's writing to the church, what do we, the body, do when a brother or sister gets ensnared in a pattern of sin? And so we just read the text twice. I'm going to give you a multiple choice question because we're in teacher mode here, right? So when you notice someone in church that has fallen into a pattern of sin that they can't seem to get out of, do you A, ignore the situation, B, gossip to others in the church, C, pray for them but say nothing, D, punish them by shunning them or yelling at them, or E, work to gently restore them? What do you do? E. C might be a close second, but Paul would say E is what we do. Paul invites the church to work towards healing, to work to help them towards freedom and restoration, right? And that's what he wants us to do for our brothers and sisters. And he's saying that there are people in our midst sometimes that are carrying a heavy burden, a heavy load of sin in their lives. And he's saying, don't let them be crushed underneath it. Don't let them be destroyed by this thing. And if it were Jesus actually, is that my phone? Oh, okay. Oh, hi, Luke. <laughs> okay. Um, so if Jesus were teaching this, um, I think that he would probably have in mind the Pharisees, right? Jesus was, um, you know, oftentimes getting after the Pharisees for things like this. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said this about them. They tie up heavy, burdensome loads and they lay them on men's and women's. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, he's saying, church, I want you to live, to carry other people's burdens, to make their burdens lighter, not heavier. And if, if you've ever wondered, like, what would be kind of the recipe for a great life? What would be the recipe for just a, a joyful life? Live your life to help carry other people's burdens. It will be a great life for you. This is pretty much what we've been doing at Rand Grove. For those of you guys that are pouring into Rand Grove, we are lifting burdens there. That's what we're doing, and I'm so proud of you guys for that. But here's the interesting thing. Paul shares one verse about sort of getting into somebody else's business and trying to gently and humbly help them. But then he spends four verses talking about how we are to manage our own hearts, right? 
Because no matter how much of a mess somebody next to us might be, we always have more than enough work to do just to manage our own lives, to manage our own thoughts, to manage our own behavior, our own words. That's a full-time job right there. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. It is though, right? That's a full-time job. But there's an irony around this, you guys. And here's the thing. The danger for those of us that are trying to live out this godly, mature Christian life is that in our piety, in our spiritual achievement, we can often tend to judge others more harshly rather than offering them more of God's grace when they're struggling. And um, I had a situation that, that reminded me of this at home this week, so Molly and I, uh, we are avid coffee drinkers. We drink coffee all day long and we gather coffee from all over town. So we both uh, are a part of the coffee club at Panera. We have the app at, at Dunkin Donuts. We've got the app and the credit card over at Starbucks. We are literal junkies. We, we made, somebody may gently correct me after this. But anyway, so we get coffee from all over town. We're always all over the place. And whenever we're out somewhere, we're constantly checking and saying, hey, you know, uh, do you want a coffee? I'll, I'll get you something, right? So anyway, um, I came home one day and I had my Panera cup sitting on the counter there and Molly showed up and she's like, Oh, you, uh, you went to Panera? And I said, yeah. And she said, um, she get me a, she get me a cup of coffee from Panera. And I said, uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I forgot. I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot. She's like, it's okay. No big deal. You know, just try to remember. And then sitting next to her hand is a cup of Starbucks. <laughs> And I just thought, that, was that a cup of Starbucks right there? <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I was like, I didn't recall getting a phone call. She's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> that was it. That was it. You know, session over. And I tried not to relish the moment uh, too much, but on the inside. On the inside, right? So, but it's this weirdly inverted thing, you guys, that sometimes when we lose our own moral ground on our decision making, that can actually make us kinder to others when they lose their way. But when we're firing on all cylinders, when we have the high moral ground, sometimes it seems like it makes us less merciful and less forgiving than if we were actually in a worse place ourselves. But Paul challenges us that as we grow in our Christ likeness, as we grow in our intimacy with God, that as we grow in holiness, that that would actually make us become more humble, more caring, more compassionate towards people around us and not less. And so he says in verse one, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself, right? He says, guard yourself from doing the same thing that you see around you. And I think that this is a huge thing. It's particularly big for me. It's a really big deal for me. And the reason is, is because I'm 53 years old now. I've been in ministry for 20 years and I've come over time to believe that there, but for the grace of the Lord go I like I see what's happening. In other words, anything that has ever happened to any husband, anything that's ever happened to any father, anything that has ever happened to any pastor, I could easily fall into myself. I want you guys to know that we've seen what's happened at Willow Creek. We've seen what's happened at Harvest, at Hillsong, and other places. And I have low-grade trepidation about that stuff. I have to guard my heart so diligently because I believe that if it happened to Bill Hybels, it can absolutely happen to Kevin Kiefer. 
And so I live in this place of like humble dependence on God because there, but by the grace of God, go I. And I believe you guys that this is, this is the attitude that Paul is commending to each one of us. And so as a church family, we are actually working to, to, to burden, you know, to burden bear, to help each other along, even to bring healing and restoration into each other's lives, even if they're struggling with sin. If and only if we are ourselves truly godly, if and only if we are completely humble and gentle, and if we work on our own hearts far more than we work on anybody else's. Does that make sense? Let's move on to verses 6 through 10, sowing and reaping. So Paul begins by talking about providing for your pastors. And so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, so I don't implode, implode with embarrassment and, you know, like self-consciousness. I'm just going to pretend like I'm preaching at a different church and I'm commending that church, you know, you know, in terms of how to treat their pastor, right? So I'm just in pretend land for a bit here. Okay. But here's what Paul says, Galatians chapter six, verse six, he says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And this is sort of regular instruction for Paul towards the churches that he planted. And so he wrote to Timothy, his protege, another church planter. He said this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. He said, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. In another place, those who work deserve their pay. And so within the context of the book of Galatians, what Paul is saying is this, um, in the preaching of the gospel, in the preaching of the true gospel, and in the preaching of the word in general, this is so central, it's so crucial to the mission of God that it's vitally important for the church to support their pastors and teachers so that the gospel can be proclaimed, so the gospel can go out, so the world can hear it, and so the world can be changed. And conversely, what he's saying is, is that if a church does not financially support their pastors, they are essentially choking off the expansion of the kingdom. They're choking off the expansion of the gospel. And so the point is, is to make sure that people sow financially into their pastors and teachers so they can carry on the hard and important work of preaching the gospel. This is an issue for Paul of sowing and reaping. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not grow tired of doing what is good. And at just the right moment, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, but especially those who are in the family of faith. Okay, so you will always harvest what you plant. And again, um, this is conceptually true. Nine times out of ten, you will harvest what you plant. Are there outliers? Of course there are. Once in a while, things don't turn out exactly the way that we expect, but this is a principle of life that is true for us, generally speaking. And so, in his commentary to the uh, on the book of Galatians, Charles Swindoll, he suggests four principles for sowing and reaping that he calls the laws of the harvest. I'm going to share three of those with you. So Chuck Swindoll's first principle of the law of the harvest is this. We sow and we reap in kind. We sow and we reap in kind. And what he means by that is, is that whatever seeds it is that you sow in the spring, in the fall, that's what kind of plant you're going to get, right? So if in the spring you plant watermelon seeds, don't be expecting 
uh, grapes in the fall. You're going to get watermelon. And if you don't like watermelon, then don't plant your watermelon seeds in the spring. Plant something else. And I believe you guys that too often we sow poorly, we plant poorly because we actually have short-term memory loss. We forget that we will actually reap what we sow, or we, we might think that we can somehow game the system, but we can't. And Paul will talk more about that in a minute. But the point is, is that if you want to have a great relationship with God, you have to sow into that, period. If you want to have a healthier body, or if you want to have great kids, if you want to have an awesome marriage, you have to sow into those things. And whenever you sow into those things well, the promise is, is that you will, exp- you will get to expect, and at some point you will experience a harvest of fruitfulness in that area. And if you sow poorly in an area of your life, you can expect a bad harvest. You can expect to experience the fruit of that poor sowing. In other words, osmosis may work well with water, but it doesn't work well with the stuff of life. So that's the first principle, that we sow and we reap. We get what we sow in kind. The second thing is this. He says this. We reap in a different season than the one that we sow in. We reap in a different season than the one that we sow in. In other words, gardeners, they don't plant seeds, pull up a lawn chair, get a basket, and start plucking, you know, tomatoes out of their garden the day that they sow it. No. What we sow today, we will reap in a, at a later time, right? And whatever it is that you are experiencing today, you're experiencing the abundant harvest of whatever it is that you have sowed in your past, whatever you've planted in the past. And so, we need to be patient in our sowing. Sometimes I can get so ahead of myself and I can try to, you know, kind of like rally hard with Molly or my kids or some other area. And I want that fruit to come quicker than it often comes. Sowing takes time. But if we're patient and we continue to sow well, Paul says you will reap an amazing harvest in your life. So we sow towards the future. You guys okay? Number three, we reap more than we sow. We reap more than we sow. Now think about it this way. Gardeners would probably be frustrated if they each planted one, one fruit that bore one seed that grew one new plant, right? That's not how it works. No, one seed produces an abundance, much more than what was planted. And I think that you guys have experienced this in the same way that I have, right? We know that whatever it is that we plant, there's a multiplied harvest there. So for example, um, have you ever in a moment of weakness, have you ever vented on someone, even though it wasn't like you didn't mean everything that you said and it wasn't that big of a deal, but you, you sort of let, you busted loose and even though you didn't mean it that much and you were just in a bad mood, the damage was done. Like that, that effect was sort of amplified, even though what was in your heart was kind of small. Have you ever done that or is that literally just me? Okay. All right. Good. And at the same time, right? So that's what happened with me and this woman, right? My one minute blew up, bore the fruit of a really, really rough first year of teaching. But the, uh, the opposite is true as well, right? The opposite is true. And that is that when we sow good seed into different people's lives or into our own lives, um, an amazing thing happens. And that is that when we pour good seed out, Great things can happen, sometimes far beyond what we um, ever expected. Um, a couple of years ago, someone, uh, not in my family, but someone messed up with me 
um, in, in not, a, I don't think a very particularly significant way, but it was a screw up. It wasn't a, it, it was, you know, it wasn't like a real, real small thing. But anyway, this person felt horrible about this situation and they were carrying all this like guilt and stuff like that. And they felt like they had to make it right. And so I met with them and I said, Hey, listen, this is, this is not that big of a deal. Don't carry this anymore. It's fine. We're good. Just go in peace. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. And that was it, right? So that happened a few years ago. But several months later, many months later, actually, they came back to me and they said, I can't tell you what a big deal it was that you released me from that because I was carrying so much guilt and so much shame. And I, I just didn't know how to get out from underneath it. And when you released me from that, it actually like shifted something in my heart. And I was like, wow, I it's not a big deal at all, but that's what can happen. You never know what the Lord will do when you sow a good seed into someone's life. And so Paul is commending us to be aware that our sowing will produce a much greater harvest in the future than in that moment. Does that make sense? But uh, there's something that I want to kind of make you guys aware of. And um, I'm going to begin with sort of a confession here. And this may shock you. Uh, I'm just going to say it. I have always struggled with the necessity of holy behavior. Is that okay that I say that as your pastor? <laughs> like I, I do. I, I, I have struggled with the necessity of being holy, right? And here's why. I don't want to freak you out because I've actually always tried to live a really, really holy life. But motivationally, I sometimes struggle. And here's why, church. I know that I'm already forgiven, I know that I'm already saved from the eternal consequences of my sin because of Jesus' death on the cross. I knew, I know too that my connection with God is based on faith, it's based on relationship and love and not on works. And finally, I've discovered that doing badly is almost always easier than doing well. And so for those reasons, I occasionally struggle to, to endeavor to live a holy life, right? But... I want to give us an important reason to obey God or to, uh, to sow into the spirit, as Paul likes to say. And I'm going to illustrate this by talking about the most suburban dad thing that anybody could ever talk about in the world, and that is my lawn, all right? So it's like my lawn, right? Molly knows that I am absolutely obsessed with my front yard. I'm obsessed with it. Not because it's good, but because it's bad. Our front yard is always the worst on the block, by far. It's just the worst on the block. And I fight this battle every single year, right? Um, but I have amazing news for you, amazing news. This is going to give you joy probably for the rest of the summer, and that is that I have decided that this year we have actually moved from last place to second to last place. We have the second to the worst yard in the whole neighborhood. I am overjoyed. I'm sure you guys are as well. Everybody do this for me right here. Do this. Okay, wiggle those fingers. You got it? Okay, so here's the deal, you guys. That's a picture of our yard. Because the deal is, is that in the Kiefer yard, the weeds grow up right next to the grass. It's clover in our yard, right? And so clover expands in the kefir front yard right next to the grass. They're not separate. It's not like I've got a clover field here and a grass field here. They all grow up together. And in every Christian's life, 
The reality is, is that our weeds grow up right next to our grass and the bad stuff that we plant in our life, it actually stunts the development of the good stuff in your life. The bad seed that you plant and sow bears fruit and it actually stops the good seed that is planted in your life. In other words, your jealousy quenches your kindness. Your greed handcuffs your generosity. Giving into your lust weakens faithfulness and intimacy in your marriage. Anger drives out trust and love in relationships. Whatever it is that we sow, it grows. And it grows, and we experience that, and those that are closest to us will live in that. And so it's actually important sort of become diligent as gardeners in our own hearts that we kind of daily look at the field of our heart and we just look at what's there so that we can begin to pluck out and prune the stuff that doesn't belong because that stuff is hurting us. It's damaging our growth. It's damaging our relationships with people. It's damaging our connection with the Lord, right? And so you might think, well, that I'm not much of a gardener, and that sounds like an awful lot of work. I'm not really into that sort of thing, and I'm actually good with a few weeds in my garden. I'm okay with sort of being in the middle of the plaque on my sort of spiritual block emotionally and spiritually and relationally and things like that. But Paul would say this to us. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, and that should give us pause. You and I will more than likely not escape the consequences of our choices, both good and bad. Being forgiven doesn't shield us from the impact of the choices that we make, right, or other people from the choices that we make. We are all living in the harvest of the choices that we made a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, years ago, and to a really large degree, we are actually living living out the harvest of the choices that even our parents made, right? I think some of you guys know that. And so we need to remember that we will experience a much larger harvest than the seeds that we scatter. But this is at the same time, I want you to hear this, this is the joy of sowing and reaping. You can sow goodness and fruitfulness for your future self today. And generally speaking, no matter what the state of, for example, your marriage is, you can have a better one, right? You can have a more joyful, more satisfying, more connected marriage if you want that. If you have kids, you can impact their lives powerfully in uh, in so many ways if you want to. You can sow good seeds into the lives of your kids. If you haven't spent enough time with them, if you've let your anger get the best of you, you can sow differently. Um, if you don't like the person that you've been at work, you can sow differently. You can redefine your work life starting tomorrow. If you have a, if you've ever felt disconnected from God, good news. You can sow into a rich and vibrant relationship with Him. If you don't like your financial picture, you can do one or two things today and tomorrow and the next day that will change your future for it. And so I just want to ask you this morning as we're talking about sowing and reaping, what do you want? What do you want your relationship with God to be like? What do you want from that? What do you want your body to be like? What do you want your job to be like? Your marriage to be like? Your kids? Your heart? What do you want Thrive to be like? And the the thing that Paul would say is, is don't wait on this thing. So into it today. So into it today. And so I've got two simple assignments for you as we wrap up. Um, and I would encourage you to try to take on both of these. One is personal and one is sort of corporate. The personal one is this. I want to encourage you and challenge you to pick a spot and do something. 
Pick a spot and do something. Pick an area of your life where you want to sow differently, where you've been sort of going in one trajectory, doing a certain thing over and over again. You've been sowing in a certain way. I don't want to encourage you to sow differently into that area and then do it again tomorrow. And do it again on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And do it every day until we meet again. And then do it again, right? Pick a spot. Plan, you know, plan something. Praise for something. Act on something. Write it down. Talk to someone. That's sowing. And see what the Lord will do with it if you continue to sow, right? Chapter 6, verse 8 says this. Here's the promise. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So don't get tired about doing what is good. Because at just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And that brings us to my second assignment. So the first one is about us. I would encourage you to prayerfully just ask the Lord, where do you want me to sow differently? And what seed do you want me to plant into my life? But the second one is this. Do good to everyone. Start doing good whenever you have the opportunity. Scatter good seed widely in your life. So say the kind thing that God puts on your heart. Do the nice thing that you have the opportunity to do, even the sacrificial thing. It is a fun thing to just, I actually was talking to Molly about this, and I thought, I wish that my life could just be going around and just doing good for people. It's so fun to just say the good thing, to do the kind thing, to give the money, whatever that stuff is. It is, it makes for a joyful life. And Paul says, whenever you have the opportunity, do good to everyone because you will see a harvest of blessing, not only in their life, but in your life. So let's get up and let's do some good sowing today. Are you guys with me on this? All right. Uh, why don't we just stand up and we're going to pray. The, um, the spirit of this message, we're just going to kind of go into some, some prayer time. But the, the idea here, you guys is both as a caution to you and as an invitation to real fruitfulness in your life, to remember, to reorient yourself about how to live. And it'll be a caution to some of you because there may be something in your life that isn't bearing good fruit. There may be a practice. There may be a sin issue. I don't know what it is, but there's always a few weeds, at least in my garden, And those are not without consequence. And so just as your pastor this morning, I would encourage you before the Lord to look at your garden and say, is there anything here that doesn't belong in the kingdom of God? And if you find something there, even in this moment, you can repent of it right now. You can decide right now that you're going to do differently. But at the same time, as we deal with weeds, it is such an invitation that God is giving us, that you can sow so well into your life and into other people's lives. And his promise to you is this will bear abundant fruit. I want you to live for that, that version of yourself that exists a year from now, that exists five years from now, 10 years from now. So Lord Jesus, um, I pray that the challenge and the wisdom of Paul that was ordained by you would be written not just on the pages of scripture, but just on the, on the book of our hearts this morning.
And I pray that um, even as we are a Holy Spirit church, even as we love sort of the ethereal expressions of your presence, Lord, I pray that at the same time that we would look at ourselves the way that Paul um, challenges us to, 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 to look inward and to see if there's anything unclean in us, anything that is sowing bad fruit. And well, Lord, we just collectively, we repent of that. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, for a grace to, to prune that stuff off. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a grace to begin to sow well into our own hearts, into our own spirits, that we would begin to sow well into our families, into our coworkers, into our church, our neighbors, everywhere that we go. That we would carry these seeds of your kingdom and that we would scatter them widely. And I, I just pray for fruitfulness in this room, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would experience abundant life. That we would experience great joy. That we would experience your power poured out among us, Lord. Lord, where um, there are those here that feel like they're stuck. I know that there's a couple of you guys that feel like you can't get out from underneath um, that situation in your life. That you're powerless, you're helpless to change it. And the Lord would just say, you are powerless, but I have all power. And God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so, Lord, we ask for the impossible. We ask for miracles to be poured out in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would deliver us from evil. Lord, we pray just that um, you would pour out vision for fruitfulness in our lives. Teach us how to love well. Teach us how to be free to pour out blessing. Lord, give us courage to sow good seed everywhere that we are. I pray that it would go well with us, and I pray that we would live as a glory and an honor to you, Lord Jesus.